we're going to open up our Bibles this morning if you have one, or you're going to open up your Bible app, or however you access the Bible, or if you just want to listen to me, I get that too. And we're going to start at Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to uh, start at verse 1. So Colossians 1, verse 1. Reading from the New International, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I want to stop there. I'll read further in a second. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word so much this morning. Um, we're just glad that it's been preserved through the ages for us to um, consult today, to know more about you, to draw closer to you and build our relationship with you. Let us establish it upon our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to go further down through the book of Colossians this morning, but I just want to stop there because, um, you know what? As I went through James, that's the first time with you guys that I have gone nice and easy, kind of line by lining through a book of the Bible, and it seemed like it was beneficial for all of us. What do you think? I think so. It was. And uh, what they call that is expository preaching, where you're kind of picking it apart more, rather than going, I want to talk about marriage today, and then like, picking out all these little verses about marriage. You know what I mean? You just go through, and the Bible, as you go through, tells you what you're going to preach on Sunday instead of you trying to figure it out. I had a, uh, an instructor when I was in school tell me that if you preach topically at church, you will run out of topics. Simple as that. If you preach expositorily through the Bible, you'll never run out of anything to say ever. And so I agree with that. Um, and as my calling as a pastor and my purpose, it resides in a major purpose that I am supposed to teach and live to the best of my ability the contents of the Bible to you guys and for everybody that's um, in this community for which I've been sent. All right, And in order to do that properly, I just really feel that line-by-line -line preaching through books of the Bible is the way to do it. Um, so let's start this book of Colossians like we did James by taking time to gain an understanding of the background of this book. Okay, So Colossians is an epistle, which is a letter that was written to the church in Colossae by Paul. Now when we open up here in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, our, our fellow brother, Paul is understood to be the writer of this book. Timothy is understood to be the person that was present with Paul while he wrote this book and the person that wrote down the words. So Timothy was like, you know, old days with the secretary when the boss comes in and says, come on, I need to write a letter. And he's like saying stuff and the secretary's writing down the letter as he's saying it. That's what Timothy's doing. He's writing the letter as Paul is, is speaking the letter. And it's written to the church in Colossae. All right. And um, let's see here. Excuse me. i got to look at my notes here. All right, Colossae was a town in what we call modern-day Turkey. And Tim's going to bring up a map for me, just so you guys can understand where it is. Okay, Colossae 
was like 100 miles east of Ephesus, which Ephesus is on the coast here in the Aegean Sea. So it's about 100 miles east. And then it's a few miles south of the town of Laodicea. Okay, and you can see on this map that it was a city that was visited by Paul at one point. All right. But when Colossians was written, it is also understood historically that Paul had not been to Colossae yet. And we'll get to why I say that in a second. All right. Um, it was in uh, the Phrygia area of, of Turkey on a little town, a little river called the Neander River that flowed first through Colossae into Laodicea and then on west into the Aegean Sea. So that's a little understanding. Colossians is the third letter written by Paul during his first imprisonment by the Romans. So he was in jail when he wrote this. Um, and, of course, it was written directly to, to the church in Colossae. And let's see here. Let's make sure I don't double over some stuff because I'm skipping around. All right. All right. So let's read on in our biblical text here. All right. And we're going to go to verse 3 in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And it says this. I have this thing where I just have to hold my Bible when I read it. So that's just the way it is. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since you. Sorry, I lost my place. Since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faith, who is a faithful minister in Christ on our behalf and who also told us, told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay, so when you read that next part, and we're going to pick it apart a little bit, that gives you the basis understanding that Paul and Timothy had not been to Colossae yet, because he says, we heard of your faith, we heard of your love, we heard of your hope, that is growing all over the world, and you got a part of it. So Paul has gotten word that there's been a church established in Colossae, that it's a God-believing church, that it's they surrendered to Christ, and he knows this from the guy who went and established it and gave the gospel to the Colossi, church in Colossae, and that's Epaphras. Epaphras is the one that established the church in Colossae. He's the opener of their congregation, I guess, if you will. Now, this introductory part, these first eight verses in Colossae, Give an introduction, just like a letter, right? How many of you guys ever wrote a letter to somebody, like a formal letter? If you're my age or older, we know how to write a formal letter, right? Do you know how to write a formal letter, Elijah? You think you've written one before? It's something that I think an art that's been lost, right? Because we have email now, and you just put like to JesusLover247 at gmail.com. Um, What's up, dude? Don't forget, we got bowling on Saturday. Chill. See you later, right? Or we text and we're like, how are you? And the person goes, 
was like, fine. And then he texts back and like, hey, dude, you want to go to the movies? And like, no, dude, I, my mom, I'm like grounded because, you know, I, I took the car and crashed it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we communicate with each other now, right? I remember when I was little, my dad regularly wrote to his dad and his dad regularly wrote to him, you know, and they would write letters and communicate that way through the mail. I remember going to the post office when I was a kid to go on a field trip. I remember taking my 25 cents to buy a stamp. And I remember putting that stamp on a letter to my grandma and sending that letter to my grandma. And I also remember waiting for that, a reply to that letter. You know what I mean? That was how people communicated at one time. So this is what Paul's doing, is he's writing this letter. And when you introduce into a letter, and you don't want to be a jerk, can I say jerk in church? I can say jerk, can't I? All right? You don't want to be a jerk. You start out positive, right? You start out good. Even if you have something that you need to bring to their attention that's critical or you're trying to like speak your mind, you start with something positive, right? And somebody who has writing experience, whatever, like Paul would, because he's a highly educated man, would understand what we call today the sandwich method. You guys ever heard of the sandwich method? That's where you say something nice, like I would say, Grace, you're just such a nice lady, you're such an animal lover, but your dog went pooey on the floor downstairs. However, he's very cute. Sincerely, Pastor Zach, right? Like that's a very simple letter, like, like me trying to say like, I love your intentions. Your dog went pooey downstairs, but he needs to stay home, which none of this is true. This is an example, right? So he starts out, and he's highly complimentary. And through this whole, he doesn't have a major complaint with the Colossians. This is a letter of encouragement. But he opens up, and he sets the stage for what he wants to say to the church in Colossae in these first eight verses. He introduces himself. He extends to them grace and peace to them from his God and Father and their God, their Father. But then he says the next thing. Because he says, I've heard about you guys establishing a church, and that is A-OK great, right? And he's excited about it. He heard about it from Epaphras, obviously. But Epaphras saw evidences that there was a church that was doing well, that he was Right? There were evidences. And he says, man, I'm, Paul says, I am praying for you. I thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you, because I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. And I've heard of the love that you have for the saints. And I've heard about the hope that you have for eternity that is, that is built on the, the love and faith that you have. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to pick apart those three words right there because that got me right there. Faith, love, and hope. Have we ever heard that in the Bible before? Faith, love, and hope? We might have heard it in a different order, right? Faith, hope, and love. But we've heard those three together several times in the Bible. But the most probably common place we've seen it is 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. How many of us know 1 Corinthians 13? How many of us have ever been married before? Or are married? Right? How many of us have ever been to a wedding before? Right? 
What passage does the pastor read at a wedding? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says that these three remain faith, hope, and love, comma, but the greatest of these is love, right? That's what he says. And I don't disagree with that, but we're going to focus on them in equality today, right? Thanks and prayer to God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of these three things. Paul gives them something great here, though, because he tells them, man, I'm regularly praying for you. And Paul is talking about his regular prayer because Paul's a praying dude. Like, he's a praying machine. He's a, he's a, he's a praying, praying fool. I hate to say praying fool because he's not a fool, but he's just a, he's a prayer, right? It's just like Ian e. Bounds. I read this book by Ian e. Bounds. He's like a, a classical um, Christian writer, and it was called The Pastor on Prayer. And it was really good, and I was really inspired and encouraged to like increase my prayer life in it. But Ian e. Bounds, he woke up at like four in the morning every day. He didn't care where he was. He didn't care if there were other things going on. And he would pray a minimum of three hours a day. Every day. Seven days a week. I mean, no excuses. He's sick, he prays. You know, if he's got people with him, it's like, sorry guys, I gotta go pray. Um, you know, or we're gonna leave at six. Well, you're gonna leave without me because I'm praying. I'll catch up to you later. That was the imbalance. Paul shows them that it's about prayer, but he shows them at the same time that when I go to my Father and when I pray, it's about praise and thanksgiving first. He says, I thank my God for you guys when I pray. That's the first thing I do. I praise my God that you guys are establishing a church. Right? And I do that because God is a deliverer of all good things. And He needs the praise for the good that is happening in your church that is happening in your city. He's a good father. And I'm so glad that you've recognized the three major graces of a Christian life and the three major evidences of a Christian life. I praise you for that. Faith, love, and hope. I'm thankful that you guys have those. Faith. All right, He says faith first. The faith... Let me find out where I'm at. These letters are really small in my Bible. I need to get the large print edition. Right? I guess I'm getting old. Right? The faith in Christ Jesus. Right? Your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith. Belief in God. In Christ. That was said about Him. That what was said about Him in the Bible is true and absolute. That's faith, right? That God created all things. We have that faith. That He wants a relationship with us. That's a part of our faith, right? Summit Church's kind of motto is what? Real people, real God, connected. We believe that He wants a relationship with people. And they did too. That Jesus saved us through His personal sacrifice. Right? Our faith begins right there at the cross, right? That He died and rose again and came and provided a way for us to have an audience with His Father. Faith is belief and trust in things that we can't quite see, that we can't fully understand, but that we know are true. It's not a vaguity, 
right? Faith is not a baby. You guys ever watch the movie The Mummy? <laughs> you ever watch it? Imhotep. Imhotep, right? Okay. The Mummy. Do you remember when Imhotep came to life after she read out of the Book of the Dead? And everybody's running around, freaking out, and the scarabs are running down, like, eating everybody. Anyways, anyways, Imhotep comes out, and he's, like, all grossy, like, corpsey thing. And there's that little shyster guy that's, um, you know, he's just, like, he's in it for himself. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get the money and stuff. And he becomes Emotep's right-hand man. And Emotep comes running up, and the guy pulls out, what does he pull out? He pulls out like a Buddhist, or I mean a Muslim crescent and star, right? And he's like, does a Muslim prayer to him. And um, Emotep's like, whatever. And then he pulls out like a little Buddhist thing, starts praying the Buddhist thing, and Emotep's like, whatever. And then he pulls out like a crucifix and is praying. And Emotep's like, who are you? And then he pulls out a star of David, starts praying Hebrew prayer, and he's like, oh, the language of the slaves, you might have use for me. You know what I mean? It's not a vaguity like that. We have an absolute, right? We understand it. We have days where we doubt. Don't get me wrong. We go through those seasons where we have, where we question and we think about different, different aspects of our doctrines and things and question it and have to do some searching and prayer and Bible study and things to increase our knowledge of those things. That's, that's natural. But we stand on one faith that is absolute, that is definite, that is not big, and that's that right there, that cross, right? Because without faith, all right, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11.6, right? So those that are absolute, that are actually uh, what you would call Christ followers that are saved, are defined absolute in the fact that they believe that he died on the cross, rose again for their sins, and that their redemption exists on all of that being true. Right? All right. Faith also exists in commitment, a defining decision. You believe that? That we express our faith by a defining decision. Right? I mean, most of us, unless we were like raised in the church, grew up in the church, we have a moment where we have the reality that this whole thing makes sense and that we need, that I need a Savior, right? I was 21, yeah, 20. I was, no, I was 19, right? When that happened for me. No, yeah, I was 19. Sorry, I gotta like go through my memory bank there. I was 19 when I came to that full reality. So we have a defining moment. And then we express that defining decision to surrender to Jesus, surrender to Jesus in our lives, to trust that only He can save. We have that defining moment where we not only believe inside, but we confess outwardly, right? What does Romans 10, 9 and 10 say? It says, if you believe with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you shall be saved. Right? Zach's version. <laughs> right? And then we have the next defining moment to where we're, we want to show everybody that we truly believe and trust in Him. Right? And that's where I get to pull out my stock tank and like throw you in and then pull you out. 
right? It's where we get baptized to show everybody that that's who we are, right? Joram, come here. Come here. Faith is about commitment. Faith is about trusting that what we read and what we understand about the Bible is true, right? Okay. It's about trust, right? Do you trust me? Really? What I want to demonstrate with you is this kind of a trust. All right? And Jordan likes these. We're going to do a trust fall. Everybody done trust fall before? Trust fall? All right. Jordan, turn around. Cross L Armos. All right? All right. Send your pharaoh. All right? Rod, staff. Okay. Ready? Now, Jordan's going to fall back. All right? And he's going to believe that I'm going to catch him. Right? Right? I will. I will. I will. All right? And so he can fall free, fall freely back, right? Let's do it. Your faith is weak, son. All right. Right there. Do it. True. Look, I'm right here. See? Let's do it again. He almost trusted me. Like, I caught you, right? Just kidding. Thank you. Right? It's a trust thing, right? To where we decide Jesus Christ is what we're going to believe in. That's where we're going to put our commitment. That's where we're going to put our faith. And we're going to believe when we fall into this whole thing that he's absolute, right? And that it's going to go well for us. You know, for those of us who have a hard time with the trust fall or the first time you ever did one, what's your big concern? Because you're going to fall and crack your head on the floor, right? All right? And we got to get past that. And that's the defining moment in our faith. Because we understand that through him, and through His grace, we can have eternity, right? Ephesians 2.8 tells us this way, For it is by grace you have been saved. What's the last two words? Through faith. Right? So that's the first thing. He's like, man, I pray for you. I thank God for you, for your faith that is in Jesus Christ. And then he says, um, And the love that springs... Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Heard your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for the saints. The love that you have for the fellow believers. The love that you have for the church. The love that you have for his children. Right? We sang a song today about um, I'm a child of God. Right? So we have a love for those people. How many of you guys believe that we should have a love for all people? Go ahead. How many of you believe that we should have a love for only people in the church? No. We should have a love for all people, right? But there's a particular love that takes place inside a family, isn't there? Right? If um, Elijah and one of his buddies, like, both were in a situation that maybe I could bail them out of, like, chances are, like, there might be just naturally a little bit more favor or concern for my son, right? Because he's my kid, right? Like, I don't care what's with the other kids. This is, this is what we're going to do for you, right? You call your dad, you know, right? I mean, just being real, like, you know. So inside the congregations, inside the church, and when I say church, universal church, I'm not talking Summit Church. I'm not talking only the Lutherans or, or anything like that. I'm talking all of us. All of us that use this book, all of us that believe in him alone, okay, that's the church. 
We should have a special bond and a special love for each other. That's what he's saying. He goes, man, church in Colossae, right? The people that are under Pastor Epaphras, you know, that bad dude. I see how you guys appreciate each other in the other churches. So much. I praise God for it, right? Now let's see what that means for us, right? The whole church, all denominations, not creating divisions and strife through small points of difference, right? right? If you go here for church and you see what we're about and you come for a while and you're like, hey, I'm going to go over and check out the Lutherans for a while. They're going to do it a little different, right? Things will be a little different, right? But they're getting ready to have church over there here pretty quick, right? They have church at what, 11 or 11.30? Maybe they've already started church. What is the foundation of their church? Christ and Christ are crucified, isn't it? And that the only way we can get to the Father is through Christ? Are they a part of the church? To me, yes. Do they have all the minute doctrines the same as us? Absolutely not, right? We're humans, right? That goes with every single denomination, Christian sect, that uses the Bible alone. And that's something I have to, to emphasize. They use the Bible for their direction, right? Because there are people out there that will call themselves Christian that use a lot more than this, right? Me and Basha had a discussion about it this week, right? I don't need to bring up names, right? I don't need to embarrass anybody or offend anybody, but there are churches that are not part of the Christian church, should we say, religious sects out there that use more than what this has, or will say there are certain parts of this that don't make our use. If we use the Bible, we believe in Jesus, we're a part of the church, even though we have differences, we're one in the same. And I guess I'm, I'm going to beat this one into the ground until it turns into flour a little bit. Because I get so aggravated when we have denominational competition. You know what I mean? Like, my, this church is better than that church because my church is, you know, and, and this is... Okay. The church Tim grew up in, you're not even allowed to have a piano in that church. You're not allowed to have any musical instruments. It's really boring and everything. I'm not going to lie. If that's going to cause you to fall to have a guitar in your church, whatever. I'm, whatever. You know what I mean? But if you come to my church, you got to understand, if it makes a noise that's called music, it's going to get used at some point or another. I have seen kids use trash cans with wooden spoons to make music at youth groups before. You know, that's just the way it is. But we're all the same church. And we shouldn't look to ourselves as superior over another one. We're all the same. We're all in this together. If we work together, we can achieve more, right? Let me see where I'm going. There's a big battle, right, that takes place around each and every one of us and all over this world. Do you guys agree with that? It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the darkest places, right? There is a battle between good and a battle between evil that's taking place. Both know that eventually good is going to reign victorious. Evil wants to take as many as they can, many down as he can before this is all accomplished. But why would we be taking different groups that are working together for the good news of Christ and bickering and trying to pick each other apart when we're on the same team? 
Well, I think we're on Team Jesus. Yeah, Team Jesus. All right? Okay. Sorry, that would be that. Be always humble, gentle, and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Do your best to preserve unity, which the Spirit gives by means of peace that binds you together. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. You know how I pray every Sunday before we start the sermon that this book would be illuminated for us, that this book has been preserved for the ages for, for us today, that this book is still valid today. It's almost like when Ephesians was written and he wrote that verse, like, be unified, that he knew there would come a point when there was more than one denomination inside the church. You know what I mean? Elijah was laughing last week because, and this one's probably not one that I would go to, simple for the fact that I'm not going to fit in, period. In Rock Springs, there's a biker church. Everybody shows up on their motorcycles. Like the pulpit the pastor preaches off is the front of a motorcycle. And like all these like dudes show up and they like got their leather vests on and their dude rags and they're like, sup? You know what I mean? They go to church and like they sing Amazing Grace with biker voices. Amazing Grace. You guys know? But they're the church. Just like us, man. They're on the same goal for us. Or there's cowboy churches because people think it's cool to sit on a bale of stray, a a bale of straw and listen to the sermon. That's fine with me. You know what I mean? We're all on the same team. And our job is to bless one another, to be kind to one another, to show charity when necessary to one another, to have respect for one each other, one another. You know what I mean? Like, I got some differences in my little doctrines down here with that Lutheran church over there. There's no doubt. You know what I mean? But no. But at the end of the day, I'm going to respect it, you know? Like, I'm going to call their pastors reverend. I'm going to call Pastor Larry, Pastor Larry, every time I talk to him. Because he is a pastor. He is the pastor of their church. If I was to meet with a Catholic priest here in town, I would call him Father, whoever. Because that's respect. You know what I mean? And that creates unity, in my opinion. All right. Lastly, he talks about hope. Right? He says, man, I praise God. And I thank Him and I pray for you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read them all again, okay? For the love that you have for the saints, for the faith that is in Christ Jesus, for the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The hope. What is, what is this without hope? What is it without hope, right? Without hope. Here's another one that gets me good, okay? And these ones I'm just going to throw out there right up. Have you guys ever been at home and you're like in your skivvies, right? Like your pajamas or your boxers or whatever. And you get a knock on the door, right? And you open the door and there's two little old ladies there and they're holding a magazine called Awake, right? Can we come in and talk to you? Have we ever had that? Have you ever had that? I've had that. Right? We call these people Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Okay. Sorry if there's some Jehovah's Witnesses listening, but you need to hear this because it's good for you. Where was I going with this again? Hope. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Kim. She keeps me in line always. But anyways, hope, right? We exist. The foundation of our faith is hope. 
right? Eternity. Those are big parts of our faith. Do you know that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in the 12 tribes and the 12,000 from each tribe? And that is it. 144,000 people out of 7 billion living today. How many billions since Christ came? Only 144,000. That is one quarter of the state of Wyoming. That is one-tenth of Bosch's home. <laughs> right? It's small. 144,000. Are you kidding me? Is that a God of grace? Is that a God of love? Is that a God of hope that only 144,000 would go to heaven? Right? Our faith exists in hope. Right? The blessed hope and the great appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. I need something to drink. I have hope of an eternity with Christ. Man, eternity. There was a Christian rock band back in the day called Audio Adrenaline. I love Audio Adrenaline. Like, I don't get to listen to them. I should put them on my phone. Audio Adrenaline. They talked about the coming to heaven part. You know what I mean? And they sang this song called Big, Big House. Like, come with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. And of course, they sing it like rock style. It's kind of cool. With lots and lots of rooms where we can play football, where we can, like, there's all this food. You know what I mean? There's a cool song. But, man, don't you look forward to that? That's eternity. That's what, that's what happens after this. You know, we live our lives. We're born. We live our life. We pass away, Right? And you go to the cemetery and you see the people that have lived and died in this world. And they have a start date and they have an end date and there's a dash between that start date and that end date. And each and every one of us in right now, in here right now, are living a dash, right? And when it's all done, besides maybe our families and something, you know, maybe if we wrote a book or something, mostly what people are going to know about you is that there's a dash there, right? Look at the genealogies of Christ. Look at the genealogies in the beginning of the Bible. They all have dashes in them. You hear their name, and you get a dash. That's it. We don't know a whole lot about a lot of them, right? That's what's there. But eternally, after the, the end date is there, that's the start date, isn't it? That's the beginning. You know, it's like Francis Chan showing this rope which I guess you would call a vector that has a beginning point with no end, and it has this red mark right here, and the rest of it's white. We have this red part, and then that white part goes on forever. Eternity with Him. Eternity with Christ. Eternity with the Father. That is our hope, and it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, even that Mercy Me song that came out like 20 years ago, I'm like, man, I can only imagine what it's going to be like. You know, am I going to see my relatives? Am I going to just be totally overwhelmed at your glory that that's what I want to do? Whatever it is, it's going to be universal bliss, isn't it? It's going to be awesome. When we face that final judgment at the end of our 
start date to end date, at our end date when we face the final judgment, because all of us are going to have to go up there and kind of, you know what I mean? But for those that have found favor in Christ Jesus, those that have accepted Him as Savior, it gets thrown through the shredder machine. You know what I mean? Like, like you guys have all seen like the FBI interrogation movies, right? And he comes in, you're like sitting down, and he comes in, and he's got the file folder, and he sits down, and he licks his finger, and he opens it up, and he goes, hmm. oh, oh, you know what I mean? And first you're like, Ooh. when we go to that point, and we sit down before the person that is the only person that is allowed to accuse us of anything. He's going to pull out our file, right? Because he has files. He's going to pull out our file. He's going to open it up, and it's going to say, Zach McKinney, follower of Christ, saved. That's what it's going to say. Because the other stuff, he knows I'm a mess. He knew at the beginning I wouldn't be able to make it. He knew I was inherently evil. He knew that I was going to make wrong choices. I still do. All the time, right? I will. I wake up in the morning, that's probably a bad choice because I'm going to open my mouth at some point. And when I open my mouth, it's going to be really bad. Or I'm going to have one of those, one of, I'm going to throw a tool or get cranky in the garage or I'm going to get cranky at work or I'm going to smile a little too big of a smile at that joke or you know what I mean? Or wow, I can't believe that came out. You guys know, we all fall short Every day. All right? You just do. That's the way it is. But he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we ask him to. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then he extends to us that, hey, I'm, I'm wiping that slate clean. I'm throwing that part of the file out, which is putting an approval stamp on there. Right? Jesus approved. Holy Spirit approved. Free ticket to heaven. You're good, right? And that's what he's going to see. That's what he's going to see. That's our hope. Ooh, man, grumble, grumble. Does that mean it's time to wrap it up so everybody can go to lunch? All right. We will be found blameless because our identity and surrender is in and to Jesus. When we decide to follow Him, when we do more than just say it, or I mean, we do more than just say it, we make transformation in our lives. And that's what this book of Colossians is about. Our faith, our love, our hope that is found in Jesus Christ and the transformation that takes place. You're never the same. You're never the same. Upon salvation, things are different forever. And in true salvation, there is evidence in our lives that express our love for our King. There's got to be something there. You know, it's like I told tell you guys that quote over and over again from Kevin Max from DC Talks, because I follow the great philosophers, Audio Adrenaline, DC Talks. You know what I mean? The greats. Like, what has John Piper got over Kevin Max? Just joking. Just joking. I'm just being silly. But Kevin Mack said it this way. He says, the most difficult thing for the world to believe, the thing they find most unbelievable, 
is Christians. And you're going, what? Christians who go into church, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, who praise Him with their lips, and then they go out of the church and they live a totally different thing. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that's Colossians. Something changes in you. You draw closer to Him. Your faith in Him. Your hope in Him. Your love for the church. Your love for all people. And something transformational about you that shows the people outside the church doors that there's something significant. There's something great. There's something good about being a follower of Christ.